If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like you to find 2 Corinthians, if you would please, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, ye may be ready, lest haply if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same bounty might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread to your, for your food, and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything and to all bountifulness, which causeth uh, through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. And then our text for today, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. My Father, I would ask today, that in light of the gathering together of your saints, that the ministering to us through music and through the voices of those that sang your praise and read your word, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'd be pleased to move upon this congregation. I pray that your word preached will not return void. I pray that the purpose for which it is sent will be accomplished. 
and that you'd be pleased to bless the things that are said and done. I pray that they'd redound to the honor and to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, there's an old, old story of the Roman army that completed their conquest of a German province. And those that had been defeated were just waiting to learn their fate and standing before that great august Roman general. There was the conquered king and his wife and the son and his son, king's son and his wife and a large number of nobles, those that had been summoned to gather and stand before the general. But before he said a single word, the king's son stepped forward and with a passionate appeal, he just begged. He begged that his life might be taken and all of the others be spared. And to the utter and profound astonishment of everybody there, the general gave the sentence that that offer should be accepted. Everybody just burst into praise and to applause and, and after that glad shouting that followed... There was just one person, and it was the wife of the king's son. She remained silent. Finally, the, king, or, uh, the, the general looked at her and just sternly asked whether she had no word of thanks for the mercy that he had shown to her, and she replied, I have neither eyes nor ears for any save for the dear one who offered to die for me. And my own prayer for us this Christmas season is that he would be pleased to give us eyes to see only the one who loved us even unto death and ears to hear only him who gave himself for us. Our unspeakable gift from God in Christ is extended to us from the unspeakable love that thought it. God's love for lost men had its beginning before Bethlehem. Yeah, even before the foundations of the earth were laid. He said to Jeremiah, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And the Apostle Paul tells us that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here today, if you're in this house, if you're gathered together with us, and you're not a child of God, if you're not a born-again Christian, hear me. God loves you. God wants you to have everlasting, eternal life. The prophet Isaiah just sings, he says, Thou hast in love for my soul delivered me from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all of my sins behind thy back. John just writes out and he proclaims, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and, and sent his son to be the propitiation from our sins. Salvation, God's gesture to all of us, of his unspeakable love. It is the choicest token of his holy affection. It was an unspeakable love that planned that unspeakable gift by which you and I are granted fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I was reading a story about Nansen. He was a great, great Norwegian explorer. Years ago, he was looking for the North Pole. 
and his ship was sailing and he found himself in very, very deep water and he tried to take some soundings, some de depth measurements, but his line just wouldn't reach the bottom. And so in his diary, he wrote the date, the length of the line that he had written down, and he added the words deeper than that. And the next day he lengthened the lines and he dropped them again and again and it failed to touch the bottom and he wrote as he had written before in his diary, deeper than that. And finally he gathered all of the lines that he had in the whole ship together and he dropped it but it found no resting place and he wrote once more, deeper than that. And beloved, that's what I would is with the tender mercy of God, deeper than man can ever, ever know. Could we with ink the oceans filled and were the heavens of parchment made were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the hold though stretched from sky to sky thinking about contemplating the love of God can just sweeten life's bitterest days. One time there was a man who was called home from work about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning after he'd been at work for two or three hours and, and news had come that his wife was ill. So he made his way home and within an hour she was gone. Just leaving there him to care for their two small children and, and that night time came and he just could not comfort them so he laid down with them. And he just held him close to his arms. And his own heart was just absolutely near to breaking. And, and at last he felt that they, were, that they were asleep. And he was surprised to hear a little voice say, Daddy. Yeah, little one, he answered. Daddy, Daddy, it's awful dark here. I can't, I can't see you at all. But you love me anyway, don't you, Daddy? You love me, Daddy, even when I can't see you. And the father took comfort from that words of his little child. And maybe this Christmas season, maybe you're in the dark too. Christian, I want you to remember that God loves you. He's holding you in his everlasting arms. And though you might not be able to see his face, in the midnight of your present experience, you listen. You listen as he whispers, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Now again, I think to consider God's Christmas gift to men, I want to say to you that not only was it an unspeakable love that thought it, it was an unspeakable love that brought it. The Lord Jesus Christ, very God of very God, humbled himself, the Bible tells us, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. All voluntarily he assumed our humanity in order to accomplish our salvation. He was the representative man standing with and yet ever above all of his people. No stain of iniquity, no shade of evil, no foul or unclean thing ever attached to him from his birth in Bethlehem till his death on Calvary and ascension to God's right hand in the throne of eternity. He was holy. He was harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. 
at no time did he ever yield his members to the body of the service of sin. He was the only one since the fall of Adam could it truly be said, the prince of this world and hath nothing in me. No other person spoke as he spoke. Nobody, no other person lived as he lived. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a subtle age full of cultic influence. We live in a time and a day where the humanity of Jesus is emphasized to the absolute exclusion of his deity. Particularly in this season when the world is full of advertisements and people are sending gifts and sending cards and sending greetings one to another, they make much of his birth, but nothing of his death. Because if he had come and lived a perfect life and gone back to heaven, we would be hell bound ever, much, ever as much as we were before we trusted him as Savior. It was his death that accomplished our salvation. Nobody has ever stood even, even slightly the wonderful life if it was true to its real purpose. His perfection of life and character was not just to be an object of our admiration. It was a necessary part of his substitutionary vicarious death. The Bible tells us that he died the just, the innocent, for the unjust, the guilty. It was a perfect man dying for sin, not his own sin, but the sins of others. It was unspeakable love. It was an unspeakable life. And I say to you today that he died an unspeakable death. Jesus Christ was born, listen to me, he came into this world to die. And while he was on that tree, the Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, we're told that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation means Mercy seat. Those that of you that have studied and learned and found out the truths and the stories and the history of the Old Testament days in the tabernacle and in the temple, how that the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, way in the back of that tent building, way at the far end, and on top of that box, the Ark of the Covenant was the golden lid, it was the mercy seat. And, and once every year, the high priest would come in and he would sprinkle blood on it. It's a picture of a payment for sins. And, and you know, through those succession of hundreds and hundreds of years, that, must, that mercy seat must have been so heavily encrusted with blood that you could scarcely see the gold. But all the while, right there where that glorious radiance of God shined between the two wings of the cherubim, at that very mercy seat, covered with blood and radiant with glory, Right there and nowhere else, God met man. And then, and then 2,000 years ago, God presented to the world his final mercy seat. A mercy seat then, not just for Israel, but for the entire world. Christ crucified on Calvary. Our propitiation, the payment for our sins. 
It's the only place where sinful men could draw near to God. That mercy seat of the Old Testament with its, in the tabernacle with its spilled blood was a picture, 1,500 years of picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of his blood and the giving of his life as a ransom for many. I tell you this morning, beloved, that indeed was an unspeakable death. But no other death could have made possible the salvation in which we so greatly rejoice. God's own blood. God's own blood poured out as a payment to buy my pardon against my crimes. You can only approach and come to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We ought to ever, ever bear in mind that God, listen, God does not love his own because Christ died. But Christ died because of the great love of God for his people. It wasn't the death of Christ that brought God's love into the world. It was God's love that sent his son into the world to die in your place. Listen to me. God loves you. God loves you. And so he sent his son down here to pay for your sins. And if you believe that and if you trust that, he'll forgive your sins and make you his child. Over in that island continent of Australia, there's a build, tall building, and it's got a stone figure of a lamb planted right on the tippy top of it. And the question was asked one time, what does that mean, that lamb way up there on the tippy top of that building? And the answer came that when the building was in process of erection, when they were building that thing, there was a man up, up on the scaffolding, was way up near the top of that thing, and he fell off of it. I don't know why he's bending over or something, but he fell off of it and he, all the way down, and his fellow workers rushed down, and they came out to him expecting to find him dead, but instead of that, they find him unhurt. He was standing, and he was, and he was walking around. He was looking at a dying lamb with blood oozing from all of its wounds. Well, just at the time when that guy fell down, there was a flock of sheep had been driven along the road by the site of that new building. And one lamb took right on his body the full weight of that man's fall. And even though it gave up its life in so doing, it saved the life of, of another. And the man whose life had been saved, he placed the statue of that lamb up there in the building to commemorate that event that had so profoundly impressed him and to which he owned his very existence. Beloved, Jesus Christ is God's lamb. He got in the way of our forever perishing lives and when we were plunging to eternal ruin, the Bible tells us that he in his own body took the weight of our sins so that we might live. Listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, and I'm not pausing because I can't remember, but I want you to think about it. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God the Father, God the Father hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank God for the death of Christ. That precious blood is the unspeakable, 
unspeakable gift of God's Son to you and I, to mankind. Because of his sacrifice, because of his death for the believer, the sting of death is absolutely gone. Williams Jennings Bryan, the great orator, once declared, Christ has made of death a narrow sunlit strip between the companionship of yesterday and the reunion of tomorrow. After his arrest there in the garden in that farce of a so-called trial, after the mockery, the Bible tells us they took Jesus and they led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, where they crucified him, and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the middle. Behold thy mother. I thirst. This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Father forgive them for they know not what they do. What sighing. What sobs. What tears, what sorrows, surging oceans of agony are in those utterances. While we sit here in this house, I want you to see in your mind's eye that whole scene come before us. Around the top and the sides and the foot of the hill there's a mob raging. They gnash their teeth. They shake their clenched fists at him. The horses are tied up short and they champ at their bits and they stamp and they paw the earth and they snort at the smell of the carnage. Look over there and see that group of gamblers are throwing the dice to see which one of them is going to get the coat of the dying savior. And there are, there are the women that are almost dead with grief. His mama and his aunt, and others whose sorrows that he had comforted, whose guilt he had pardoned. And see the man as he dips his sponge into sour vinegar, and with a stick holds it up to hot, dry, parched, crap lips. The bleeding from his wounds has done its work. And the world... There was no solar eclipse, but the world grew dark. Dark until the towers of the temples could no longer be seen. They were not visible. And darker until the surrounding hills disappeared. And darker yet until the inscription above the, above the middle cross could no longer be read. Darker still until the chin of the dying Lord Jesus falls on his breast and he cries with his last cry. It's finished. Beloved, this darkness not seen before or since was a bereavement of the heavens. And it was all because of God's unspeakable love to us that that unspeakable death took place. That you and I might be partakers of God's unspeakable gift. That is what made possible the forgiveness of your sins and the receiving of everlasting eternal life. 
That is the center from which continents have been touched and from all the world will yet be moved. Toward this hill the prophets pointed forward. Toward that hill the prophets and the apostles and the martyrs pointed backwards. And to that hill all of heaven points downward. And to this hill with the fury of its hatred all hell points upward. And round this hill circles all of history and all of time and all of eternity. And then... And then can we learn that God's gift of salvation is unspeakable joy. Pleasure that is deep and true and rooted in God. That's the portion of the Christian. Listen to me. But it belongs only to him. Christians young and old have got every single reason to rejoice because of that awful sacrifice on their behalf. They've passed from death into life. Their transgressions are pardoned. They're freed from the penalty of sin. They've got the word of God and the spirit of God as their companions through their whole lives. They're given strength and guidance every single day. They're promised one day to be made in the very image and likeness of Christ himself. Unspeakable joy. I would ask you, this Christmas season, would, would you, would you this day consider him, Jesus Christ, God's unspeakable gift. He's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is by himself the purger of sins, and he's seated on the right hand of the majesty on high. You that are with us today, every one of you, every man, woman, boy, and girl, you're in one of two positions. Either you're a sinner who needs him as savior, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Or you're a believer. And more and more and more and more and more you need to recognize him as Lord. And surrender to his service. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen to me. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. If you're not saved, you need to be. If you're not saved, you can't save yourself. God sent his son, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You're not going to get to heaven because of good efforts. You're not going to get to heaven because you belong to a church. You're not going to get to heaven because you've been baptized. You're not going to get to heaven because you say prayers, not because you can sing every hymn in the hymn book, not because you think that you're the greatest, the goodest, plainest, honestest, there's a word, person in all of the world. To be saved is to have joy. To be saved will bring joy. Do you know that today could be the very time in your life when you can sing, 
joy to the world. The Lord has come. He's come into my heart as my Savior. He's recognized from now on as my Lord. Unspeakable love. An unspeakable life. An unspeakable death. Unspeakable joy. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift.